Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you. We're glad that you're here and joining us for worship here at Ivy Creek Baptist Church this morning. All of you who've joined us in this room, those of you who have joined us online, we're grateful uh, for all of you being here today. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope that you do, take them out. Turn with me once again to the Gospel of John and to chapter 9. John chapter 9. We are going to continue our sermon series this morning in which we've been examining all of the signs that John has recorded for us in his gospel. And this morning we come to the seventh sign that we have been, as we've been walking through uh, this, this gospel account. And, the, and this is the one in which Jesus uh, heals a man who was born blind. And we noted at the beginning of this series that a sign in John's gospel is something that he writes down in order for him to be able to point us to Jesus. It's something that reveals uh, something significant about Christ and, and about how he works in this world. But as we've also noted in every sign that we have examined thus far, these signs also reveal something about us. It reveals something about humanity. And it reveals our need of Jesus and, and reveals to us what we, how we must respond to him. And all of that is going to find its way into our passage that we're going to look at this morning of this man who was born blind. But, but not just the story of the man born blind. John, when he writes this sign down, actually includes all the details that come after it. So there's a lot of information that John writes for us. And he does so, including, there, there's, there's all of these chapters in the, in the Gospel of John, but John chapter 9 is, is completely devoted to this one event and all of the, the things that occur as a result of it. And so he, he writes 41 verses about this man who was born blind and this interaction with Jesus. And so I want us to examine that together today. Uh, in fact, I'm going to read all of it. Ted mentioned earlier that uh, I'm preaching from a different Bible this morning. Um, the Bible that I, that I typically read from is one that my dad gave me about 18 months ago, and I've been using that all the way through, and I know it's somewhere. <laughs> I don't know where it is currently. I'm going to try to find it this week. Nevertheless, he also gave me this Bible and this is the one that I have preached from the most in my life, so it's good and broke in, so we're all in good hands this morning, and, uh, and, and the Lord is going to be just fine, and he's going to be just uh, honored by our reading together today. So if you've got your Bibles open with you there in verse 1, let's read. I'm going to read the entire chapter for you. Verse 1 says this, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, neither this man or his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and he made clay with saliva and he anointed the eyes of the man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent, so he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he, had, he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, It is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, How were your eyes open? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, 
who is he or where is he? And he said, I don't know. So they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And when then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight, he said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. And therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Then they said, they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, and who, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. And for the, for the Jews had agreed already that anyone... Who, if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now, we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, if, he, if it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins and you are teaching us, and they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the son of God? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may be made blind. And then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this opportunity that we have to open our Bibles in front of us and to be able to read it and hear it. Now, I pray that you would help me to decrease, that you might increase and that you might reveal yourself afresh and anew to these, your people, and to those who may not have ever 
truly beheld you in your glory. I pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. I want to begin by pointing you back to verse 39 again, because I believe verse 39 sort of hangs over this entire passage and helps us understand what's taking place there. It's a paradoxical statement. It's one of those kind of statements that whenever you read it, 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 at least for me, it typically stops me in my tracks and makes me go, wait a minute, what did he just say? I got to think about that again. It's, it's one of those that causes you to naturally slow down and forces you to chew on what is being said there. Verse 39 is, is one of those passages. Notice what Jesus says. For judgment, I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may be made blind. Now, if we, if we slow down and chew on those words for just a moment and consider it in the context of what we've just read here from John chapter 9, then I believe that what we see Jesus expressing is this, that he causes the blind to see, but he also causes those who think they can see, but really can't, to be even more blind. You get that? He causes the blind to see, but those who think they can see but really can't, he causes them to become even more blind. Now, in many ways, I would suggest that that statement really summarizes everything that occurs in this chapter. In other words, I suggest that folks to whom we are introduced in this chapter, beginning with the man in verse 1 who was born blind, all the way to the Pharisees there in verse 40 that asked Jesus, are they blind also? All of them formed the cast of what D.A. Carson calls an acted parable about sight and blindness in the spiritual realm. In fact, I would, I would go so far as to say this, that all of us here in this room this morning, all of us find ourselves in one of those two same categories. We are either like this blind man who was healed by Jesus of his blindness or we are like the Pharisees who willfully remained blinded by their sin and saw no need for Jesus. So receiving sight or remaining blind, we might even put it this way, walking in the light or living in the darkness, it all depends on how you respond to Jesus. That is the premise with which I intend to work this morning as we examine this passage, the seventh sign here in John's gospel. Now, for us to fully appreciate how this chapter begins, in, ver in, in chapter 9, verse 1, we actually need to back up just a couple of verses into chapter 8 because I think there's something in, that, that John wanted us to see there. At, at the end of chapter 8, we find that Jesus has found himself at odds with the Pharisees. In fact, he makes this incredible statement in verse 58, and I'm not going to unpack it all, but I want you to see that he says this in verse 58 of chapter 8. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And so he's saying, look, Abraham, that was their patriarch. That was their father. All the way back in the Old Testament, he said, before Abraham even was, I am. And he uses the present tense. And he uses the word, I am, which is the, the self-declarative way in which, Jesus, in which God declared his name to, to Moses. When, when Moses says, who do I tell Pharaoh sent me? He says, you tell them the I am has sent you. And so when Jesus makes this statement here, it is a very clear statement of his divinity and of his his eternality, 
And the Jews, the Pharisees that were there in the temple recognized very quickly what Jesus was saying. In fact, they became incensed and angered at it because they knew that he was declaring himself to be God. And so the Bible says, John says that they picked up stones to stone, it, to stone him and to kill him. But then notice the very last verse there of verse 59 of John chapter 8. It says, they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. But then notice with me verse 1 of chapter 9. We read those exact same words. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Don't miss that play on words, because I think it's intentional. I believe John uses the same phrase to demonstrate two different actions. In other words, to to those who rejected Jesus, to those who wanted to stone him, Jesus hid himself. He passed by them. He, He went away from them. He moved past them without them noticing him. And we might want to know, well, how did he do that? How was he able to? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. John doesn't tell us. All we know is that Jesus was able to hide himself from them and from those who wanted to stone him, he was able to move past them without him being seen. But it's just the opposite of what happens in chapter 9, verse 1. In chapter 9, verse 1, you have a blind man who couldn't see him, was completely blind, but when Jesus passed by him, Jesus noticed him. In fact, Jesus stopped and moved toward this man. He engaged this man. He even healed this man. Now, I believe that just in the way that this chapter is introduced from what had occurred in chapter 8 to what starts happening here with this man in chapter 9, that that actually demonstrates the irony of what Jesus says there in verse 39. Jesus causes the blind to see. And he causes those who think they can see but really can't to become even more blind. Now, with regard to this man, notice notice this this man's congenital condition raised a question from his disciples. Jesus' disciples are there. They see this man born blind. He's begging. They assume that his blindness is a result of sin. They ask Jesus, whose fault is it that he's, he's blind? Was it his fault? In other words, did he do something when he was in his mother's womb? Jews, there, were, there were a certain sect of the Jews that believed that, that, a, that a baby could, could sin in utero. And he's wanting to know, did, did, did the child do something even before he was born that caused him to be, sin, to, to, to be blind? Or was it something that his parents did before he was born that, that God is visiting judgment upon the child as a result of his parents' sins? Which one of this is? The, the disciples are looking for who was it? fault. Jesus comes and says, look, it's, it's neither of those two things. In fact, it's, it's this, neither this man or his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. They're looking for someone to blame. Jesus says, you need to look for someone to glorify. You need to look for God because God is going to work something miraculous in this man's life and he's going to do it for his glory and for this man's good. And so you're approaching it from the wrong perspective. 
And then Jesus says this. He says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. There's tons and tons that we could say about that. But what I want you to know is that what, what happens next. Jesus does something that, to be honest, well, it just seems weird. He spits on the ground, gets down on his hands and, and, and sits there and takes the dust of the dirt that was there and moves it around and makes it into a mud pie. And then he gets that up and he smears it on the blind man's eyes. I don't know when the last time you went to an ophthalmologist was, (laughs) but my last time that I went, they didn't do that. That certainly doesn't match up with the hygienic standards that we are accustomed to today. Nevertheless, notice, notice that having done that, having put that, that mud, that paste on the man's eyes, then Jesus tells him, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. Now, many have tried to figure out the rationale behind Jesus applying mud to this man's eye. Why would Jesus do that? Well, we need to establish first and foremost that Jesus didn't have to do that, right? It, it was not something Jesus had to do. We've already read about how he was in one city about 20 miles from a young boy who was dying in another city, and all he had to do was speak, and the boy became well. So Jesus didn't have to apply anything. He didn't have to be in the same room with the man. He didn't have to touch him. None of that had to happen, but Jesus did it intentionally. Why did he do it? I don't know. John doesn't tell us. Jesus doesn't give an explanation. Anything that we offer at this point is going to be conjecture on our part. But I will offer you what I think. I believe Jesus made clay, made mud out of the dirt and applied it to the man's eyes and told him to go to the pool of Siloam to wash because he wanted the man to go to the pool to wash the mud off of his eyes. And what draws me to that is because John says, go to the pool of Siloam, and then John puts in parentheses, which means sent. John wants his readers to know that the pool that Jesus sent this blind man to with his mud on his eyes is a pool that was named the pool of scent of Siloam. And what's interesting is that it got its name because the waters that went into that pool were actually sent to it by the spring of Gahan, which was located in the Kidron Valley. And so everybody called that pool, that name, the Pool of Siloam, because all the waters that came to it were sent to it from another source, a greater source that brought the water into that pool. Now, why is that important? Why does John make sure we know that this blind man was sent to the pool of scent? Why does he make sure we know that? Well, let me point out that there is no short of other scholars who would attest to this, that the pool of Siloam, which is called Scent, Jesus is also the Scent One. You remember, He is the one sent from the Father to come to earth to cleanse those who are in their sin from their sin. In fact, you might recall that very early on in Jesus' ministry, He was in Nazareth. And it says that on Sabbath, he went to the synagogue. And when he entered the synagogue, they gave him the scroll of Isaiah. 
Isaiah, he opened up and he began to read. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And Jesus folded that scroll back up and gave it to those who attending the synagogue, sat down and said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus Christ is the sent one, sent by the Father to come into this dark and blinded world in which he is able to provide light and he is able to provide salvation to those who are lost. And so here what we see is that Jesus, the sent one, sends the blind man to the pool that is sent. And the man's soul and the man is given sight to his eyes. And it only points us to the greater miracle that occurs in which he is given spiritual sight and his soul is redeemed. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Stop for a moment and think about this. Up to this point, the blind man hasn't said anything. Have you noticed that? He, hadn't re- he didn't respond when the disciples want to know who sinned, him or his mother. He didn't see Jesus coming toward him in order to be able to engage them to begin with. We never even hear that the man asked Jesus to heal him of his blindness. To this point, this man has been a passive character in this entire scene. But then as soon as Jesus applied the mud to his eyes and told him to go to the pool of Siloam and to wash himself, well, the man had a responsibility to to obey if he wanted sight. Now, I realize it's taken me a little while to get here, but let me point you to the first observation that I have for you from this passage this morning. I believe that this man's actions tell us something, and I believe it tells us something important. It tells us this, that a response of faith is necessary to experience sight. A response of faith is necessary to experience sight. Please notice that this man was helpless. He had been blind from birth. Not one day in his life had he ever seen anything. And he would have remained that way for his entire life. He was blind from the very beginning. He was hopelessly and helplessly blind. And he would have stayed that way forever had not Jesus passed by him, noticed him, stopped, and took the initiative to turn to him. All the man did was simply respond to what Jesus was doing in him. He responded by faith. Jesus tells us very, John tells us very succinctly what happened. The, the man was, was, had the, the mud placed upon his eyes, and then Jesus told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, and then he did this. He went and washed and came back seeing. He responded with simple obedience, faith. Faith that what Jesus had told him to do was sufficient, and he went and did exactly what Jesus told him to do, and he received his sight. Listen, I want you to know that's what faith does. Faith believes and then it moves in obedience to what the Lord says. And then notice what happens. Suddenly, suddenly, as he he moves in obedience, suddenly the lights are turned on. When I can just imagine. He puts his head down in that pool of those waters and he begins to wipe his face and his eyes. And he comes out. And he opens his eyes. 
And for the first time, the light of the sun pierces his retina and does all the stuff that it does where it turns things upside down and shifts it and bends it backward and sideways. He didn't know how all of that was working. I don't even know how all of that was working. I don't have to know all of that was working. All I know is is that a man who had never seen anything for the first time in his life sees his fingers, sees the hands that he had always used to pick things up with. He sees his hands for the first time. He's looking up and he sees the blue sky and he sees the white clouds. Do you think that it's impossible to think that maybe he saw the birds that he had only heard chirp for the first time in his life? What do you think that that must have been like for him? Total pitch black darkness. All of a sudden being able to see. You and I take a lot of that for granted. I can assure you this man didn't take any of it for granted. His heart had to be overjoyed and filled with the capacity of, you just can't believe what has happened to me. Listen, response of faith is necessary to experience sight. And that's what we see here. But I want you to know that this passage teaches us something else. Notice the next observation that we come to. Because it's not just the actions of this man that we want to pay attention to. I believe it's the actions of these Pharisees as well. And the actions of the Pharisees tell us this, a response of rejection perpetuates blindness. Response of rejection perpetuates blindness. John tells us that immediately this man's neighbors and the folks who had always known him to be this blind beggar, well, they were utterly amazed and they were bewildered and they were astonished at the fact that he could now see. They ask each other in verse 8, they say, is not this the man that sat and begged? And some said, well, yeah, it is. And others go, well, no, it can't be. It looks like him. It looks like him, but it can't be him. It's strange. They didn't ask him. (laughs) He finally says, it's me. Hey, look, I know y'all are trying to, I know what y'all are asking. I know you're talking about me. It is me. I'm the one. And, And then finally, when he does that, notice what happens next. Well, then the first question out of their mouths is that they want to know, well, how were your eyes opened? Wouldn't you think that the first thing would be, praise the Lord, you can see? That's the most amazing thing ever. Praise God, lifting their voices in praise to the the God who, who obviously would have had to stand behind this miracle. No, the first question out of their mouth is about not the meaning of it, but the mechanics of it. How were you made to see? And the man told him all he knew. In verse 11, he says, a man called Jesus anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Now those folks didn't know what to do. They've obviously stumbled upon something that's much greater than them. So they did the only thing that I guess that they knew to do. They took took the man to the supposed experts, the Pharisees. And, and like the neighbors, the Pharisees, they're more interested in the mechanics rather than they are the meaning of the miracle. So in verse 15, they ask the formerly blind man, tell them how it happened. And again, he responds, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Now, what I want you to note is that right there in the Greek, there's a word that's not translated into your, into your Bibles, but it's there. And it's something that you need to be aware of. It's the Greek word that's translated this way. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) 
because everything turns right there. Because you see, the Pharisees, all they heard was that Jesus made mud and anointed the man's eyes. All they could see was that this, this man, whoever he was, had broken their traditional Sabbath laws. Because you see, making mud on the Sabbath broke one of those 39 rules that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. One of them was you couldn't, you couldn't knead dough together to make bread on the Sabbath. And they took that and extrapolated it out and said, not only can you not knead and make dough, you can't knead mud. You can't put stuff together to do that. They had a list of rules like you wouldn't believe. And so the, the Pharisees hear that this man put mud and made mud and put it on this man's eyes. And the first thing that they say is just simply this, this man is not from God. Because he does not keep the Sabbath. No matter what they've just seen, no matter the fact that they've got a man who's a literal miracle in front of them, they refuse to believe that Jesus, the man who had accomplished this miracle, could be from God because he had done something that broke one of their little rules. Now, others in the group said this, well, but how can, how can a man be a sinner who does such signs? And so there was an argument that took place among the Pharisees. And so they decided to call the man who was blind back in again. And they began to think about this. They, well, that, that, maybe he really wasn't blind to begin with. Maybe this has all been a hoax all of his life. And so they begin to interrogate him and really try to find, they call him a liar. They basically want him to prove that he had truly been, they even call his parents in and say, listen, is this your son? Is he, was he truly blind from birth? Isn't that crazy? They had the evidence right in front of them. But they refuse to believe it. They refuse to receive the truth. So they call the man back in. They say to him, give God the glory. We know that this man, speaking of Jesus, is a sinner. And the man responds, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. And his answer just infuriates him even worse. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And the interchange would be humorous if it wasn't so deadly. But in verse 27, he responds, he says, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become one of his disciples? I like this guy. I'd like to, I think he and I probably would approach things in a very, he's quick-witted. And, and they look at him and they say, you are his disciple. You can almost hear him spitting it out. You are his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. As for this fellow, we don't even know where he's from. The man says, why, that's a marvelous thing. You don't know where the man's from, yet he's opened my eyes. You know effectively what the man is saying back to the Pharisees? He's basically telling them, you guys are more blind than I was before Jesus healed me. Indeed, he was correct. Once again, we're faced with the irony of the scene. You see, instead of embracing the truth about Jesus, which was evident, it was standing right in front of them. The Pharisees not only rejected the man, they rejected the one who had healed him. And in verse 34, it says that they eventually threw him out. 
And in their spiritual blindness, the Pharisees refused to see the light of the world. They responded with rejection, and their blindness was perpetuated. But that's not the end of this story, because John goes on to tell us about how this man who has now been thrown out and and is being excommunicated, Jesus, notice, Jesus goes and finds him. It's the second time in this passage that Jesus seeks him out. And when he comes to him, in verse 35, he asks him, do you believe in the Son of God? Now think about this for a second. This man who had been blind at the beginning, back in the first part of the chapter, but had gone to the pool of Siloam and washed his eyes, when he finally came up out of the water and was beginning to see, Jesus is already gone. So this man has never laid eyes on Jesus. He doesn't know what Jesus looks like. He doesn't know that he's speaking to Jesus at this point, but Jesus knows him. And so he goes and he asks him this question, do you believe in the Son of God? And notice the man's response in verse 36, who is he, Lord, that I may believe him? And Jesus says in verse 37, you have both seen him and it is he who is talking with you. And the man responded immediately and unequivocally to this gracious act of divine revelation. And he says, Lord, I believe. And then John tells us that he worshiped Jesus. Listen, do you notice that the man never asked Jesus any questions about mechanics? He never asked Jesus, how did you heal me? He never even asked Jesus, why did you heal me when you heal me? Why didn't you do it when I was a lot younger? He doesn't ask any of those questions. The man simply believed in Jesus and he worshiped him. And it is here that we find the second and the far greater miracle that occurs in this chapter. Because here we see that the man who had been given physical sight is now more importantly given his spiritual sight. And the man who was born blind could now see the light of the world. And he responds to Jesus by believing in him and worshiping him as the light of the world. Listen, let me say this to you. When you genuinely respond in faith to Jesus, the one sent as the light of the world, the response will always result in genuine worship. Always. And worship is not simply defined as lifting your voice in song or lifting your hands in praise on Sunday mornings. No, worship is the act of ascribing glory and praise to the Lord through every facet of your life, how you live every day, both publicly and privately. So this man who had been born blind received two miracles that day. He was given the gift of sight and he was also given the gift of salvation. In other words, what we realize is that this miracle that John records for us so that he can point us to Jesus and tell us about ourselves is not so much about restoring the physical sight of this man as much as it is about enabling this man to spiritually be able to see Jesus and come to faith. And that's what brings us back to where we started. Back to verse 39 where Jesus says, For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may be made blind. And John tells us that the Pharisees who were standing there asked Jesus, huh, well, are we blind also? And Jesus says, if you were blind, you would have no sin, but now you say we see. Therefore, your sin remains. Jesus wasn't talking about physical blindness. He was talking about spiritual blindness. And those who come face to face with Jesus either respond to him 
in faith and receive their sight. Or they reject him and they refuse to recognize the evidence that is clearly laid in front of them. And as a result, they become even more blind. So having examined this passage, let me remind you of what I said at the beginning. All of us find ourselves in one of those two categories. Every one of us in this room find ourselves in one of those two positions. We are either like the blind man who was healed by Jesus of his blindness, or we're like the Pharisees who willfully remain blinded because we don't see any need of Jesus. We, don't, we just wave him off. We don't need him. He's not important. John MacArthur has noted this. There are four characteristics of spiritual sight that emerge from this passage that we should take note of. He says that, number one, spiritual sight requires divine initiative. Number two, it responds in faith. Number three, it recognizes Jesus as the Christ. And number four, it results in worship. Every bit of that happens with this man. That describes the journey of the spiritual sight of this man born blind. Let me ask you, does it describe your journey? Have you responded in faith to the divine revelation of Jesus as the Christ? Is the way that you live your life every day marked by worship of the Messiah that God has sent as the light of the world and your only hope? On the other hand, MacArthur also notes there are four characteristics of spiritual blindness that emerge from this text. He says that spiritual blindness, number one, receives judgment. Number two, it refuses to admit its blindness. Number three, it rejects spiritual sight. And number four, it results in doom. That, that is the sad journey of these Pharisees, and it is the severe judgment that they faced because they rejected Jesus. I want you to know it is the same judgment that all who reject Jesus Christ and refuse to place their faith in him will also face as well. Here's the reality. Christ has come. His word reveals him. This sign that John has recorded for us, along with all the others that we've been studying over the past few weeks, all of them display the glory of God and call men, women, boys, and girls to believe upon Jesus and to worship him with their lives. And therefore, the only people who cannot see the light of the world are those who refuse to look. Those who refuse to see Jesus for who he truly is. Those who are presented with truth and turn a blind eye to him and reject him. And as such, they perpetuate their blindness and they bring judgment upon themselves. And it is that that brings me to my sermon in a sentence this morning, which is this. Jesus is the sent one who gives sight to the blind who respond by faith. But those who reject him remain in their darkness to their utter doom. As I close this morning, I am going to ask you a very pointed question that I believe this passage demands. Do you see Jesus as the light of the world? Do you recognize your absolute need of him? Or are you still walking in darkness? I want you to know the answer is either one or the other. There's no third option. 
And I want you to know that the consequences of your answer are too important for you to ignore. Indecision and failure to commit yourself to Christ. To wave him off as being inconsequential or unimportant to you is to reject him and to remain blind. It's a blindness which will only be perpetuated. And it's a blindness which will ultimately result in your judgment. According to what Jesus says, it is a dangerous thing to wave him off and to disregard him and to reject him. But I have great news for you today. You see, the Lord Jesus stands before you, not in the form of a human being like me, but the Lord Jesus stands before you through his word, which has been clearly declared to you. And in his word, he reveals himself and he reveals his nature to you. And he reveals the gospel of the good news of Christ to you, that Jesus Christ was sent by God the Father to this world to die on Calvary's cross so that sinners like you and sinners like me, undeserving men, women, boys, and girls who could not save ourselves if we had a lifetime to try, he came and did for us what we could never do by dying and suffering the full penalty of God's wrath upon himself. Not only did he suffer our wrath, but they put him in a grave, but on the third day he rose again, defeating death, hell, and the grave, and ascended to the right hand of the Father where he now stands and he intercedes on your behalf and on my behalf. Jesus Christ has done everything that you need to come to the Father to be saved and he stands before you willing to receive you if you will come to him. Listen, you may have rejected him all of your life up to this point and you may choose to do so further, but he stands in his grace this morning offering you salvation. He does not do that because he has to do it. He does it because he is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in kindness, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he offers you salvation this morning. The question simply is this. Will you look at him and turn your eyes away and reject him to your utter doom? Or will you go to the one who sent and wash in the pool of his grace and his mercy? And will you come up out of that water viewing the beauties that God has gotten for you and all of the things that he has in store for you in heaven's glory? Will you see him? Will you turn and respond to him in faith? Will you reject him? Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God and is for the people of God. Let's pray. Father, in these quiet moments, I just pray that your spirit would speak to the hearts of those in this room. I don't pretend to know everything but I know you never send the wrong message to the wrong people so my prayer today is just simply that your spirit would work and bring conviction that 
you would give some things for those in this room to chew on, not just right now in these moments, but throughout the rest of this day and the rest of this week and throughout the rest of our lives. Thank you for doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Thank you for the beauty of this passage and what it teaches us about you. Now we just submit ourselves to you and give this time to you. In Christ's name I pray, amen.